0: it is already April, and you can believe it or not, and time is passing. Um, April's a wonderful time because usually in the month of April we celebrate Easter, and we start focusing in on the resurrection, start focusing in on the event that changed all time and all history. All history pivots around a single event. It really is said well on your notes right here by Alexander, the cross is the center of the world's history. The incarnation of Christ and the crucifixion of our Lord are the pivot around which all the events of the ages revolve. And that is so true. Don't worry, they're professionals back there. They can handle it. <laughs> we train them for crisis situations. It's fine, we got it. <laughs> it really is. Our Christianity is an event in so many ways. A single moment, a single day, the death of our Savior. Obviously, the resurrection we're coming to, but we're starting a new series. We did seven weeks on the City of Refuge. Hopefully, you learned something. I did, because we want to learn things from the Word of God every Sunday. So we're starting a new series, The Cross. That kind of goes without saying, that's the biggest thing you can talk about, right? The Cross of Jesus Christ. So we're going to learn some new things from the Word of God, and we're going to reflect on this and look at this. Let's start with a, a story. And we'll jump into Mark chapter 8. The person who has written more literature than any other human in history by hand is Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. Almost everyone's heard of that name. If you don't know what he is, just Google Spurgeon and you'll see a happy looking Santa guy. Big Englishman. He died at 55. Um, He worked a lot. The reason he died young, uh, he died of pneumonia, but that really wasn't the issue. Early in his life, he had a traumatic ministry experience, with which almost ended him in his ministry and everything. At the height of his ministry, the largest uh, gathering that they'd ever had in England, in the largest building in England, it was a giant wood structure. They were getting ready to have his largest kind of a Crusader speaking. He was a phenomenal speaker, phenomenal teacher of the Word of God. And uh, the, the building was packed. This is before fire codes and all that. And the, uh, they were standing around, people were outside, and some hooligans, as uh, I believe the, the paper quoted, uh, ruffians screamed, Fire, fire, at the beginning of his sermon. Panic ensued. People ran in every direction, and in that day, there was a wooden sermon. I've told this story, so I need to abbreviate it in the time pads. There was a wooden sermon in the middle, elevated for, for, for amplification. He, got a, he was a front row seat to the carnage. When it was all over, seven people were killed. They were trampled to death. And hundreds were, were injured. It was supposed to be the height of his ministry, and he collapsed at the view of it. He, he, he collapsed. He tried to stop. He was yelling. didn't matter. It was panic. It was, it was just insane panic. So they carted him to a pastor's friend of his uh, a few miles down the road where it says he lay in a deep depression for a few weeks. He, makes a, he has a quote that says, My depression continued until this. I began again to think about the cross. In fact, he struggled with depression and frustration from that event. He said, until I began to think about and on the cross everything else began to melt away. And it was only in the power of the cross. Not that he didn't know Jesus already, clearly, but it was a reflection back again to the cross that strengthened him, that made him continue in his ministry. And so it is with us, right? And so it is with us. So Mark chapter 8, let's jump into this. Mark eight thirty-one. This is before the cross, We have speaking before the cross, during the cross, and after the cross, which we will look at in this series. But today, we're going to start with when Jesus starts talking about the cross. He didn't do it at the beginning. This is when he starts to do it in Mark 8, 31. Here we go. And he began to teach them. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Then the cross has still not entered yet. This is where it starts right here. Then he called the people to himself with his disciples also and said to them a shocking statement. That doesn't make any sense from a Jewish man to a mixed multitude with some Jewish disciples because the Jewish way had nothing to do with the cross. He was the savior of the Jews. It had nothing to do with the cross. It was a Roman instrument of torture. They didn't create it. They perfected it. The Jewish capital punishment was what, according to the Old Testament? Stoning. Nothing to do with a horrific, long-term death and agony of a cross. Stoning was quick. Whoever desires to come after me Let him deny himself and take up his, (gasps) they gasped, his cross and follow me. It was a shocking statement to all of them, including his disciples. So let's look at this. Verse 31, and he began to teach them. And when the Mark says this, Matthew's going to repeat it. Luke's going to repeat it, although he wasn't of the twelve. John's going to repeat it. His most emphatic, consistent message became the cross. From the turn, he always taught the kingdom of God. He always taught the love and grace of God and coming back to repentance. And what was he doing? He was teaching and teaching on repentance, getting them prepped, priming the pump for the cross. So his most consistent, emphatic message became one and one only, as it really is ours, our most emphatic, our most consistent, number one on your notes. The cross is our most constant message. It is our most constant message. I love creationism. I'm a biblical worldview guy, y'all know that. Y'all are like, oh my goodness, I'm tired of hearing about the biblical worldview. Good, just about the time you're done hearing it, I'll keep saying it. Obviously, I'm big on family stuff, and we're going to live with integrity and live with morality and have godly families and all those things. But I have to remember, as you do, in our busyness and constant information in the world, we have one consistent message, don't we? Above all, before all, it's the cross. So I was, I was thinking about this, and I was looking at all the, the early churches, and I was thinking about this message, and I realized Paul did this with all the churches. And there was something I, I never noticed before. So, okay, Paul writes one-third of the books in the New Testament. He founds many of the, the New Testament churches. So when he's writing letters to them, it's to encourage and to recenter them, right? So you start this work, you know, got the kid going, and, and they're going, and, and like any little kid, they're going to get off, and they're going to get distracted about whatever life. So, it's the same way with these young churches. So, what he does is he has to write these letters by the hand of God, obviously, and he sends it to them. The two most opposite letters that you can find concerning those churches, and I'll just, this is an opinion, obviously, is Galatians and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So, Galatians is one of the first books written. Heavily Jewish, they fall back into works, legalism, and Jewish traditions. They fall back into it, and he's like, he's writing me, he says, Guys, I don't know who made, bewitched you, I think the King James says. I don't know who got you off your consistent message, but he brings them all through Jewish history, and then he ends in Galatians 6 with this statement. God forbid that I would boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus. How does Paul deal with legalism? The cross. Now, let's go to the other end of the spectrum, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So, Corinthians is a big city. Corinth is highly immoral, and they don't have the Jewish roots like Galatians has. And they, look, they just watch and do anything. They're a mess morally. It's just relationally, there's, there's a mess. They're a mess. So, at all this immorality going on. So, he brings them back. Guess how? The cross. He says, he gives this huge, long list of sins, which would make us blush. I mean, fornication, all this kind of stuff, all this, he lists, he lists, he lists, he lists, And then he says, and you who were once far away have been brought nigh. You who were once of them have been purged, cleansed by the cross. The same way, even though they were way in immorality or way over in legalism, He just brings them back to the cross. Why? Because the cross fixes it. Because the cross centers it, right? Because the cross is the thing that fills us with grace and truth. Is he a God full of grace and truth? We beheld his glory. He was full of, John 1 says, grace and truth. The cross is our most consistent message. Peter deals with this also. Go to Acts chapter 10. Peter's having a great old time. Unbeknownst to him, Cornelius, a Gentile, is just praying it up, seeking God in prayer and fasting, wanting a change in his life. He knows of God, the God of the Hebrews. He fears God. He gives alms, and he's seeking the Lord, and Peter has the vision. He sees sheets coming down with all kind of food. I love this text because it's just freedom. I can eat things out of ditches and enjoy it. That's what's so wonderful. Uh, sheets come down, it's three different times, and it's all this kind of, you know, non-Jewish boy food. It's bacon for days. And he says, I don't touch this. God says, you don't call common what I've called clean. You eat it. And then he, he says, all right, Cornelius sends people to him to get him. He goes to Cornelius' house. Let's pick it up in Acts 10:40. Listen to what Peter says to this God-fearing person who knows the Old Testament, his house. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witness chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. To him all the prophets... All the prophets witness that through His name whoever believes in Him will receive remissions of sins. How, what was the testimony? What was the consistent message, according to Peter, of all the prophets? Jesus. Jesus was the message of how many of the prophets? All of them. While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. The consistent message was the message of the cross. All right, let's keep looking here in Acts. I mean, excuse me, Mark. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And he began to teach them about the cross, that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And he gives three people, the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. The leaders, the church leaders, and the religious experts, the scribes, the writers who copied the the Bible down and stuff like that. They also taught. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. It's amazing that we reflect on this on the cross, that most of Jesus' suffering was with people. And that's just the way it is, and that's just common. That's life. That the Son of Man must suffer many things. I love this statement because it is an end to every argument with with Christianity. It's an end to every argument against Christianity and against the goodness of God. That the son of man, the sinless son of man must suffer. The perfect son of God must suffer. It ends all arguments for me. And that's number two on your notes. The cross ends all arguments about the goodness of God. He began to teach that the Son of Man will suffer so the world doesn't have to. I'm going to show you a short video. This is uh, Ravi Zacharias Ministries. Uh, If you've never heard of Ravi Zacharias, half the reason I'm showing it to you is so you'll be aware of this person. This is one of the foremost apologists in our culture and our time. Uh, You can YouTube him, watch videos. He has a whole teaching team, goes all over the world internationally and speaks. The reason is, is because all of Christianity comes down to this. The cross of Jesus Christ is true and it sets mankind free from their sin or it's not. With the cross, mankind is sinful and broken and we must have it or it's not. So this short video, he's just going to give a little explanation. And I want you to be aware of who this person is so you can teach yourself, your children. You may not be able to communicate sometimes to people, but you can send this video. Let me give you get ready for the video. Let me give you uh, an example. Uh, I got a water bottle here, water cooler um, a few weeks ago because I was tired of lugging water around. It's just heavy. So we got a water cooler system where the guy who sold it to me, everyone who comes in here, I try to think, okay, Lord, if they're here, we're going to talk to them about Jesus, whatever it is. The water cooler guy, the the community coffee guy, tell me about you, tell me about Jesus. That's, that's what I'm, I try to do every time. So I say, hey, where are you from? Tell me about yourself. So he he's an outgoing person because he's a salesman. So he starts talking. He starts talking about uh, how he's very spiritual and all these things. So it was a uh, mixture of all kind of uh, Indian, Eastern mysticism, this, that, all these kind of things. I can't really uh, communicate at all. But I thought, you know what? He loved Eastern understanding and philosophies. I said, you know what? I know a guy who you would love to listen to. Give me your, give me your, your, um, your phone number. I'm going to send you some videos. So I was able to send him this where communicating to him would have been very difficult. But now it's very easy. So I'm going to tell you, the ones that may be difficult for you, you can just send them a little two-minute video like this, and they'll, they, you may start a conversation that you normally never would be able to. So watch this.
1: Why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God simply snap his fingers and forgive us? That's a common question I get, often from my Muslim friends, because the Quran, the scripture of Islam, claims that Allah, the God of Islam, is merciful and forgiving. And so my Muslim friends say, you don't need a cross. You don't need Jesus to die. God can simply wave his hands and forgive us. How do we respond? Well, think about the word forgiving. Think think about the word mercy for a moment. Mercy means, by definition, getting what you don't deserve. If I'm hauled up before the judge, convicted of a crime, found guilty, but the judge exercises mercy and lets me go, well, I haven't got the punishment I deserve. The mercy of the judge has been exhibited at the price of justice. Mercy is always exercised at the expense of justice. And in every other religion, that is in fact a contradiction, because every other religion that I know of often wants to talk about God being merciful and God being just. Islam makes that claim. But if the God of the Quran just simply forgives us uh, without punishing us, if there's no payment for our sin, then he may have been merciful, but he hasn't been just. And there is a contradiction right there in the heart of the religion. And that's true of every other religion except one. And only one religion that I know of is God both merciful and forgiving and is God both judge and holy and righteous, and that's Christianity. Because in the cross of Jesus Christ, God exercised his mercy not at the expense of his justice, but through his justice. Because Jesus paid the price for our sin, a price that we couldn't pay ourselves. At the cross, there was punishment, yes, but there was also forgiveness. The cross holds those two attributes of God together. You see, if I lend you my iPad... And you bring it back to me and you've broken it. And I say to you, don't worry about the fact you've broken it. Don't worry, I'll deal with it. And you walk away. You've been forgiven. I've shown mercy. But there's been a price. I've had to pay the price. Whenever there is true forgiveness, whenever there is real mercy, somebody has to pay the price. Only in Christianity does God pay the price that price. At the cross of Jesus Christ, God paid the price. Jesus, his son, paid the price of his life, that each one of us might know true forgiveness and true mercy, but not at the expense of justice.
0: There we go. All right. Thank you. We have a great church who do so many great things. The printer broke this morning. Pastor Stephen can't fix printers. Pastor Stephen reads his Bible. I don't know how to fix printers. But we have an IT guy. He can fix printers. They do this and this and that. They make it all run. By many hands, the work of God is done. Thank you for that. All right. Psalms 18. The context of this is David talking about war and fighting and battle which is the most controversial, you know, when is can there be a good war or battle whatever. That's the context of this. And in the middle of David talking about fighting and violence and all of this, he just pauses in Psalms 18:30 and he says, "As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him." That's an amazing statement right in the middle of talking about battle and a few verses later he says he teaches my hands to war because he's a spouting in in controversy when there's unclear when there nothing ever goes right in battle there's always things that are wrong and sin and then right in the middle of it he says as for the lord his way is perfect let's keep looking here psalms 33 excuse me verse 33 back in mark So the disciples have tried to take a breath in this, such an emphatic statement of Christ, verse 33. But when he had turned around and he looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, okay, so he, Peter takes him aside. Peter says, we got a problem. I want God's kingdom now, and I want to be delivered from these Romans, and I I'm telling you, I'm older than you, Jesus. I've been living with these Romans longer, and I know that you need to set up this kingdom now and not wait. So he talks to Peter, but he doesn't immediately get rebuked by Christ, does he? He's going to address all the disciples together. There's always a ringleader in the group with the disciples. They're often thinking the same thing, right? But there's always one who's always going to talk first. It's usually Peter. Not every time, but usually it's Peter. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There's no temptation that is not common to man, right? Jesus knew they're all thinking the same thing. This I've hitched myself to this wagon, and it looks like it's going to crash and burn. We're going to turn this thing. This is the most emphatic statement of Christ to look at Peter and say, get behind me, Satan. Why is it such a major deal? For one reason. It incites rebellion against the, wo- the will of God. It, he, he, Jesus brings the disciples to a crossroad and he says, submission to this or rebellion to this. Here we find all of humanity and ourselves in the world. Submission to the cross and God's will are rebellion from it. That's why it was, he, he uses the satanic term Satan. Because it is a rebellious statement. And Satan, we know, is the forerunner of rebellion. Even rebellion in heaven. He, you could say he's the author of Rebellion. But when he had turned aside and looked at his disciples to make sure they were all listening, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. Number three on your notes. The cross forces surrender or rebellion. This may not be a statement we hear a lot about the cross, but we need to. The cross is wonderful. The cross is where our sins are paid. Right, amen. The cross is where the sinless Son of God hung for the sin of mankind. But the cross forces submission to it or rebellion from it. Right. This is why Jesus makes this statement. If you, it was hard for me to understand why does he come. I, it's hard for me to understand why he comes down on Peter like that. Does he love Peter? Yes, deeply. But he he butts himself to the will of God and say, no, no. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven when rebellion came into his heart. So the cross forces us to this place of surrender or rebellion. This is so true in our life. I have dealt, am I the only one who's dealt with rebellion in your heart? I've dealt with it my whole life, in my heart and in my mind. I can remember from a little kid, but I knew Jesus. And really, it was a cross saying, surrender or rebellion, your choice, surrender or rebellion. I have heard the surrender or rebellion question maybe more than any other question in my life. Have you all heard that one, too? I remember as an 18-year-old as an intern who said, you're going to ministry. Start doing whatever they tell you to do. They said, all right, you going to straighten chairs. No problem. I got it. I can straighten chairs. Would you work with middle school? I love middle school. Bring them. Bring them all. I want you to be 6 a.m. prayer meeting every morning. Whoa, (laughs) whoa. I could feel the rebellion rising up. 18-year-olds don't do prayer at 6 a.m. Unless we stayed up all night for some reason. I had to submit to that because that was the cross for me. If You continue reading this. He talks about picking up your cross and following me. I remember a few years later, oh, God was so clearly spoke to me on missions. It was so glorious. It was so great. I'm, you know, in missions, and God speaks, and I want you to go to school, Bible college, and do this, and it was so wonderful. And I get there, and they say, all right. Shave every day and wear a tie. No! No! What was happening? The cross of Jesus Christ was forcing in me, surrender our rebellion. It was, wasn't it? It was forcing in me. Oh, to shave every day and wear a tie. Oh. Y'all been there, huh? The cross does that to us wonderfully. It must. It has to. It's the nature of the cross to force surrender or rebellion. So all the disciples are at a crossroad here. Verse 30, I'm going to mash verse 33 and 4 together. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. When he had called all, his disciples, all the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Oh, this is a mixed multitude. This is the disciples. This is Peter with his fresh wounds. He forks the road and he says, okay, there's a, highest, there's a hierarchy here. And the highest loyalty you have to decide right now. You have to decide this right now. Number four in your notes. The cross demands God's will to be your highest loyalty. The cross demands God's will to be our highest loyalty. Not only surrender and rebellion, but in that, okay, Lord. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Now, remember... The two times he prays that is when he teaches the disciples that with the Lord's Prayer. And then, when else? The only other time that we hear those words coming out of his mouth in the garden, right before the cross, praying sweats of, like, like drops of blood falling from him. This is the other time we say, Not my will, but yours be done. The, that's the picture. The cross demands God's will to be your highest loyalty. Let me show you this picture here. I love history, especially Christian history. This is very famous, 1956. Five uh, U.S. missionaries were killed in the Amazon jungle in Ecuador. The most famous of those in the middle, Jim Elliott. Some of you may remember this as children or you were very young. They were speared by Indians deep in the jungles. They had taken a small biplane in, and they had actually been there a few days and had met and communicated with them. But like any frontline missions and the difficulty uh, communicating, fear rose up in those lost tribesmen, and fear is the most destructive thing that will happen. Fear is destructive to its very nature, And those tribesmen speared them to death uh, with arrows and and spears. There was something Jim Elliott did and said, I was not aware of. You're very familiar with his story. Books have been written. Elizabeth Elliott is his wife who went on to live there for years and years. They made movies about him and all that stuff. But Jim Elliott, like a missionary, um, had a journal and he wrote something I didn't know about. So obviously they've been in Ecuador a while. And they've been at different tribes and stuff like that, where all the different tribes, and I've been to countries like this, they all have different dialects. So you're struggling. You may learn one at at one, you go 20 miles in the jungle, they speak it, it's a different dialect. So how are you going to constantly communicate the cross of Jesus Christ to all these different people groups? You know, you're learning languages, they may speak Spanish, but it doesn't help you with other tribes. So, like I have done before, and like they did, they really did impromptu dramas. And this is what Jim Elliott said. He said, I can't tell you how many times I would take two logs and lay them together and make a cross. Then I would lay myself down on these logs to explain to these Indians what a crucifixion was because they had no idea what it was and they never saw it. They would reenact, like if you've done missions or anything, this drama in the jungle showing the crucifixion. And he said, we would stre- I would stretch out and they would pierce my side and pierce my hands to show what Jesus did. And I never thought about this in the context of his life and purpose and how, the way he was martyred for the Lord. He was constantly pretending to be pierced to show Christ and how was he actually killed. It's just prophetic, his very life and his actions of how he was actually killed. Do you know why all that happened? Because God's will was his top priority, wasn't it? You don't have to be a missionary. You just get up every morning and say, God, your will is my highest loyalty. Nothing is higher than your will, and you'll better stay married. And you better love those kids. And you better get up and deal with that difficult boss. Nothing is higher than your will. For him, it was this. For us, for you, you know what it is. The Holy Spirit will bear witness and you'll know what it is. Let's stand up. Going to spend some time reflecting in your personal relationship with Jesus through the cross. So just spend a few minutes and reflect on your relationship with the event of the cross. In reflection, you want to write something down, You're welcome to do that. We're getting ready to close. You want to jot some things down, or just as you reflect, you learned something or thought about something, or the Lord may show you something. It would be difficult without the cross. But we have the cross. Things would get us down. People would hurt us. Church would be impossible, but we have the cross. Oh, the cross of Jesus. So let's, by faith, do what these people did because this is before the cross. We have no excuses after. Let's come with joyous surrender and with the will of God as our highest Let's come to Him today, right now. Just the last few minutes, let's just come to Him. Oh, surrender. Joyous surrender. Lord, You commanded Your disciples to surrender by faith. And they did it until they saw the cross and the resurrected Lord. We also surrender, trusting You. Oh, the marvelous grace of God has been revealed in the cross. And we trust You like they did. Thank You, Lord. We joyously, happily surrender. Let no rebellion be found in our heart and mind to the work of the cross in us. And Lord, we make your will now that we've surrendered because there's nothing without surrender. That always happens first. We make your will our highest loyalty through the cross. Oh, yes, Lord. Thank you for your wonderful, perfect will. We submit to it. We seek it. We look for it. We thank you that you're keeping us in it because of the power of the cross. Thank you so much, Lord, for your plans and purposes. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. We thank you for it today and every day. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen and amen. Just thank him for the cross. Just thank him. Just thank him. You guys, God bless you. Have a great day.